So at one stage there, I was playing, um, I think I had a game for fourth grade Colts at that stage at one stage there. So I was seven grades below first grade, something that was eight grades and then. How do players at the top level in rugby do what they do? And what can young ambitious players learn from them and their journeys to achieve their own dreams in the game? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Brian Moylette, former Irish age grade international player, now mental performance coach, and welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. Scott Fardy retired last year at the age of 37, having played with the Brumbies, Leinster and the Wallabies for 39 caps. But the start of his career was very different to I reckon 99.9% of the players who achieve what he did in the game. Scott talks about his journey through the lower grades of club rugby for a few years after leaving high school to then getting a contract in a random part of the world before getting his big break at the top level at the age of 27 with the Brumbies. We also talk about, along with his journey, how you can use visualization to help with nerves and become more confident and also what you can do to deal with pressure as you go up through grades. On my Instagram page at Offfield Rugby we're currently running a giveaway for a £100 gift card for 45.com. That's the CBD and vitamin company founded by George Cruz who was on the pod last week. So enter that at Offfield Rugby also, please send the podcast some friends and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. This is a really, really interesting episode of someone with quite a different journey to a lot of other people and some unreal insights. So here's episode number 56 with Scott Fardy. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website sparkswealth.ie. Recently a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple easy to understand way no jargon and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So where are you based at the moment right now? I'm up in Newcastle, about two hours north of Sydney. Um, so my wife has family here. Um, so we've got a bit of support around us, which is great. Um, we haven't really had that for uh, probably five years now. So and my son's almost five and he was born in, in Dublin. So kind of lived away for a long time so it's nice to be close to close to family and friends and no lockdowns and things like that so now to see everybody so which is really good yeah for sure and you're in japan last season yeah i was in japan so i did um i finished up in japan because we're having another baby so we decided to have the baby here in, in australia so um we didn't yeah we kind of it was a bit tough there on the family so um George trying to have the baby there so um, yeah, did a year coach the forwards and um, defence at uh, NEC, um, which was a, a real learning experience. First year of coaching and yeah, big change. Learning experience. Yeah, I was just yeah, I was you know I went from probably being at, at one of the most you know the team that you know, barely loses to a team that hasn't won in three years. So um, it was a you know, huge change for me. Um, you know, team and you know, like being in that Leinster program probably. I did appreciate it, but I don't know if I appreciated how much I could have appreciated how, how good it was and how, um, you know, being with the guys that I was there, and, you know, and, and just the ease of ease of everything that's, that, you know, how well run a club it is, you know, compared to others. And, you know, heading to NEC, it's obviously in a, in a rebuilding phase for them and, and trying to get, you know, to the top of the top league in Japan, which is going to take some time. But um, with the guys there, I think it's, it, you know, it's going to go in the right direction. Yeah, and how is it like you know winning? They say winning's a habit, losing's a habit, but um, challenging when you're trying to turn things around. Yeah, uh, take the small wins. I think um, that's important. I think you know the 
the small gains you make, are, you know, towards that win is is important. You know, we went the whole year without winning until we got to the playoff game. We won one one and lost the second one um, by about three points. I think it was in the end. So, um, yeah, just take those small wins. Take that. Try to try to focus on the improvements and see what you've you've done well. And obviously, you know, be I'll be honest with where you need to get better at. You know, I think yeah, you know, it's it's a difficult process, but. Um, you know, winning, winning masks, a lot of things that you're not doing well. And then suddenly, you know, you have a big loss, you know. So I think when you're losing all the time, everything's kind of on the table all the time. But uh, I think when, you, when you're winning a lot, you know, you push things aside. So it's important when you win, I think, um, to, to review as hard as when you lost. I think it's, you know, sometimes even harder, I think. Yeah, 100%. And is that something like, obviously, your time at Leinster winning loads of trophies, like doing well winning pretty much most games. But um are you kind of looking for the faults? Yeah, I think so. I think, and that's something that Stu and Leo do really well. And um, I think the big thing there is just the um, same guys in the roles for a number of years. You know, you look at the coaching staff, it's been pretty constant. But then the backroom staff, pretty constant. Those guys, that's, you know, you're learning as you go. The mistakes they've made, they're fixing. And you know, you're not starting all over again. You know, when I went to coaching at NEC, you're starting all over again. You know, with a new whole new coaching team, the high turnover of staff within the building. You know, I think that's that's really, you know, really, really big thing that Leinster do well. You know, you look at Mick Dawson was there for, you know, since the, since the start of professionalism in rugby. So, you know, when you have that, you know, and in my time at the Brumbies, I think we had three different, three or four different CEOs in my time alone, and that was only six years, seven years. So, you know, the, the consistency of staff is 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 a really big part of why Leinster have been successful. Yeah, it's a huge thing, isn't it? Like, that's often overlooked, like, that consistency. And even with them, like, players, coaches, because obviously the coaches, the messages that's coming in, it's like you're attacking this way, now you're attacking this way, then you're defending this way. And yeah. even, like, with players, like, getting combinations, it's yeah. huge. Like, it takes it takes two two years. Or it's usually the third year, then things are, like, A1. Yeah, if you're constantly trying to, you know, if you're constantly changing, you're constantly trying to build, and, and it's, yeah becomes very difficult. I think that, you know, the, the advantage that Leinster have is those players are all from the same region and same area, know each other's games really well, play a lot of footy together from a long time. And um, that's a huge advantage. And the same with the coaching aspect, the coaches know each other well, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And then even bringing Shawnee back in, we all know what his strengths are and what he can do. So I look forward to seeing Shawnee add his little input into the game as well. Yeah, yeah. And how did you find your time at Leinster? I loved it. You know, I think it's, um, as I said before we started recording, we really miss Ireland. Um, my wife loved it there. You know, the family loved it there. So um, learn a lot from my time there, four years. You know, a lot of successes, a lot of, and then a few games that didn't go our way and a big loss as well. But, you know, I think all in all, it was just a, a, magic, a magical experience for me. I've always wanted to test myself in European rugby. That's something that I, you know, really wanted to do um, to play to play in Europe and and play in a good side in Europe and play big games in Europe. And I, I got to achieve that there with Leinster. Is that like why you left the Brumbies? You kind of always had an eye on wanting to play at the top level there in Europe. Yeah, I. Sorry, you have to excuse my young you, kid in the background. You can hear him screaming. Yeah, um, he's a feisty one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that I remember my father saying to me years ago, and he wasn't a big, he's a rugby guy, but he wouldn't know the game that well, you know, not not for a long time now. Um, but he was like, you should go play in Europe. I think you'd be good in Europe. And then every time I went over to November series and things, I always enjoyed it. I enjoyed the crowd aspect of it. I enjoyed, um, I toured there in 2006 with the Waratahs, like 18, and went to, and I loved it. Just, a, I loved playing footy there for some reason. I mean, I love the cold and all that. I love the changing conditions of the seasons you know i think in australia it's kind of does get cold in canberra but the games are you know pretty you know when you play a game in december and january it's totally different to a game that you're playing in in april may or september you know i think i love that element of it and that tactical element of it um kind of brings teams down to different levels and bring team up and things like that so um yeah i just loved i love the way the game's played there a bit more than you know when i look back at when i look at super rugby now i just it's not 
I don't think it's as close to test rugby as playing up north is. You know, you're playing European rugby. I think it's it's closer to test rugby and it's probably what you're seeing now in, in, in world rugby with those teams. You know, with the teams in the south, you know, Bar South Africa probably struggling against the Northern Hemisphere sides. Yeah, it's a great point. Like, Super Rugby is really, I loved watching it growing up, but it's um, all attack. And then for sure, like in the Northern Hemisphere, you have the wind, the rain, the heavier pitches, not so much anymore, but it's it's so you need different kind of strategies different tactics it's so varied i think it's you know i look i look think about my time at leinster it was mainly defense focused you know people go oh, leinster attack we spent so much time on defense you know i think defense whereas you know you know i know that you're not sure now brumbies did a fair bit of defense but you know other teams it's all attack and focus maybe in super rugby and things will change i know but you know defense should be 70 80 percent of what you do i reckon yeah, and what was your like most challenging or like biggest shock or change when you went to Leinster? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, probably I'm trying to think. Uh, I think it was a they all knew. I think I had to really look at the game in a different from a different angle as well. So I had this way of looking at a thing, which is, you know, I think that I was a Brumby and this is a Brumby way of playing. And then to come up, this is the Leinster way. And I had to change my change the way I looked at the game a bit. You know, I didn't, you know, I still had that. That was still part of my journey is playing at Brumbies and Wallabies and those things. And that was always in the back of my mind and those things helped me. But Leinster was just a different way of looking at it. And you know, had to be that challenged me and it was good. I think I think the big change for me was just going out. I was pretty much an out-and-out lock. So I've been playing a lot of six internationally and, and, at, and at Brumbies. And then so I got there and I was like, I need to put on weight and all these things and try to get bigger and, and you know, and the scrummaging aspect of it and the fatiguing of playing in playing in the second row was more of a challenge than, than playing six. And um, was that a big difference of physicality then? Like you say, like Northern Hemisphere would also slot into the second row. Yeah, I think oh, I think the fatigue I suffered in games compared to what I was, you know, I was coming out off a play six in um, at Brumbies and then into the into you know heavy scrum, heavy maul. You know, we mauled a lot at Brumbies as well, but probably heavy competition in that area in the north and dealing with those. It's, you know, I don't know if it's more physical. I, you know, I don't, you know, you're playing South African side still there in Super Rugby when I was playing. Yeah. You know, the, the derbies in Australia can get really physical and bogged down kind of games as well. So I don't, I don't buy in the fact it's more physical, um, maybe a little bit slower. You know, Super Rugby can just be, you know, crazy, crazy quick at times and, you know, too quick. But, um, yeah, I don't buy into it. I don't buy into it that it's more physical. You know, maybe when you're playing those French sides in, in, in Europe, it can be really, really physical because there's just such big sides. Yeah. And then going back to coaching, like when you retired, was that always a plan um, you wanted to coach and still the case? Yeah, still the case. So I'm looking for some work here if I can and, you know, trying to stay in it if I can. So, um, yeah, it's been. Uh, like that's all that was kind of always in the back of my mind. I want to coach, and, and that was part of the reason probably going back to going to Leinster as well is going to a good program and learn learn a different way. I think it's important for Australian coaches anyway. And I'm not sure about what Kiwis think about this is to is to see is to go up north and and play or coach in the north as well. Um, and you've seen with Ronan Agar and those guys coming to the south and seeing how I think it's really important to see different things. So. Um, going up north and playing there was, I think, beneficial. Hopefully, to to, to me being a better coach, but um, you know, still, it's still a ways to go to, to get better as a coach. Anyway, you know, I've got very, very green at the moment, and still trying to try, still try, um, still working my way through. I think I've got some good knowledge, but then trying to execute all that and get and get it down is is different, different, different story altogether. Yeah, and I saw you played for a couple of years in Japan earlier in your career, didn't you? Yeah, so I can speak a little bit Japanese and get by. Um, so I was there for three years actually. So I'm um, up in the north, and so my Japanese is all right. So I got by when I was in back. When I went back, I was actually surprised that I could get by. Um, I wasn't doing team meetings and anything like that, but I would, I could understand what guys are saying a bit more than probably other coaches that just come in to the to, um, to Japan. So um, yeah, I was three years there and 
yeah, I love that time. Um, it was good for me, just focus on myself there. When you know, that's the big thing there when you're a foreigner, you just play well as, as yourself, you know, do the best you can do. It's a bit different in Europe, there's more going on, but in Europe, but in Japan, as a foreigner, you come in there, you just need to, they just want you to see you, you know, play well. And I, you know, I think I did that when I was there, and well, now 13 years ago now, so long, long time ago now. Yeah. And uh, so your journey, what? didn't look like too conventional you talk to me about that like growing up say high school or leaving high school and around that yeah so i i played rugby since i was six or seven um so but i always played my two older brothers who were you know pretty crazy and we just play sport relentless with each other um which was a better when looking back it was such a benefit for me having two older brothers who were both good at sports and both you know real competitors and that kind of passed on down to me so and then when i um when i went so i finished high school uh but i i went to a public school so i didn't go to rugby playing high school i just went to a public school which was awesome because it was like right on the beach you're surfing in your free time and um it was a good lifestyle ideally kind of um growing up in that area and i was really you know i jumped get up at eight o'clock and get the 8.30 bus to school and, you know, like home at sometimes at like 3.30 or whatever, you know, not a long day. And where the private school boys, they'd be going, you know, an hour and a half each way on the bus and things like that. So, you know, I'm thankful that I had that that upbringing and, and was able to live where I was. And But then, you know, I started kind of taking rugby more, you know, I was always a bit like relaxed with my rugby. I just, you know, I probably didn't take it that seriously. And, um kind of started taking seriously about my so i was chs with school boys i was a year younger so playing year up trying to make i made like the chs team and then i broke my leg in my playing club footy on the weekend and that kind of put me behind and then from there i went on to to my local club Ringo, which i played for since i was 10 um and played every grade there until i got to first grade and then um got an opportunity to um probably three or four years later to play uh, first grade and then from first grade got picked up to tour with the Waratahs in 06 and then kind of went on from there and got went to the force the following year um, didn't didn't play a game in so the season the 08 season and then um, came back to Sydney played played again for Ringer and then after that went off to Japan for three years so you were 19 20 21 playing club rugby yeah, yeah, just playing. So at one stage, yeah, I was playing. Um, I think I had a game for fourth grade Colts at that stage. At one stage, there, so I was seven grades below first grade, something that was eight grades, and then so then I played two years of first grade Colts, um, you know, and then after that, played a year of third third grade slash second grade in um, in grade, and then he then went into first grade from there. And how how was it then? Like, were you wanting you said you're taking it more serious were you taking it seriously at that point like around that time? not not in that period probably when i was playing Colts. it's probably the breaking of the leg kind of pushed me back um you know i probably wasn't taking it seriously i should have if i i never rehab the leg properly i reckon you know if i didn't have that support really to do it it was you know we're talking now 15 years ago 16 years ago or probably actually when i broke my leg it was 2001 so it was 22 years ago now so um yeah I, it didn't didn't really rehab the leg properly it's probably why my knees stuffed on that side my hips stuffed on that side things like that so but it's um yeah I, and it wasn't until like I, I played a second grade semi-final we lost to sydney union we played against a lot of super players in that and i thought oh i'm actually going all right but i was like 95 kilo lock you know like i was tiny at that stage still because i didn't really take it that serious and then i got the uh I played first grade the following year from there, then went from there, kind of got my opportunity. Cool. And did you did you have a kind of mindset switch when you like you saw that you played that game against them and then were you like, all right, I'm I'm gonna actually try have a crack at this? Yeah, I, I just think thought I could I competed well against them, so um played really well in the game and thought, yeah, this is they, these guys aren't that far above me. If I just hit the gym a bit, do a bit extra running and get fit you know i can compete if not be better than these guys and that's what it, it was just like i had a essentially a, 
an awakening of sorts. And then even then, I wasn't thinking I'm going to go play Super Rugby. I was thinking more, oh, I'm going to go play first grade because that was, you know, I spoke to my club the other day. They had the Derby versus Manly, and that was all I wanted at that stage to play first grade. And, you know, from there, things took off post that. But, you know, playing first grade was, was huge for me. Cool. And then how did the opportunity kind of to get a break into professional rugby come? Yeah, so I was spotted playing. Well, you know, you're playing, you're in the shop window essentially there at Shoot Shield, especially at that stage. That was yeah. the, the feeder into into a super rugby. So, um, and then I got an opportunity, the, the Waratahs picked me up and I toured. Toured, uh, we played Saracens, Northampton, um, Ulster and, and Leinster. I missed the Leinster game. I didn't play, I was injured, but um, we played those on an end of season tour in 2006. And then I, I was joined the academy after that. Um, the Waratahs Academy so a, a mature age I think I was would have been 2006 I would have been 22 at that stage so a bit older than the other guys in the academy but uh, um, young now looking back at it really still still young and, and very naive as a professional you know didn't have, didn't have any knowledge about being a professional player at all you know compared to others um, you know was that following year I got a job at one of the I was doing I was still like labouring three days a week and then to, I was like, oh, I should give this a go. So I started labouring. Had Monday Monday off because I used to we used to train at like five thirty in the morning, and then in the afternoon. So I had Monday off, and then I'd train. I'd I'd work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, labouring like pretty heavy, heavy labouring, moving bricks, anything you know. And then train club footy and then Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday night, and then train again Friday and then have Friday off again but train morning up and evening and that and then Saturday after Saturday morning as well so I was and at that stage the Waratahs were like are oh, you probably burning yourself out a bit here and they got me a job at one of the private schools Knox Grammar and um I couldn't I'd never been to one of the private schools before and I walked in the door and I was like oh my god these guys have got like a whole gym and a pool and everything I couldn't believe it <laughs> I was yeah. like, so like I was like you know not that my school was bad it was just a yeah, it was a public school, so but it was like I couldn't believe like what the yeah, you know, what the kids had here. It was it was unbelievable. So and you know, then then saw kind of that schoolboy element of the game, which I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Um a couple of things there. It's interesting, like when you say 22, you you think you're old. I don't I don't know what you but I was like when you're that age, when you're young. You're 18, 19, you're like 22, you're past it. Are you you just I think I think it's such a misconception or a bad like young players really don't understand that you don't hit your prime till your late 20s, 28, 29, you know, physically and and skill and everything. And it's it's um it's crazy just how much time you have back then. Yeah, well, so I played till I was 37 in the end. So um that's 15 more years from post that feeling yeah. of feeling. So it's a decent career. And I think sometimes when you start a bit later, you get that off. Like it's, it helps you like not having those big physical games when I was like 19 or 20, you know, being able to just slowly work my way in meant that even now my body's in pretty good shape. You know, I didn't get too bashed up in the early part of my, early part of my career. You know, I got, got to work my way into the physicality of, you know, super rugby and test rugby and, and do it when I was probably more physically ready. Yeah, that's a really interesting angle because the everyone else is 16, 17, 18, then they leave school and they're going in play. It's, it's how quickly can you get there? You know, it's maybe yeah. half your 20s, you're playing first grade for your club when you're 19 or 18, and then you're playing maybe a a-league games and stuff and it's it takes a toll a young like no one no 19 year old is physically ready yeah yeah i think it's i think it's about a little bit i i think you may also develop habits so you can stay there and some guys you see them come in and go they they come in and they, they blow the world out in you know pro 14 or what's it now urc um and then you know they have this lull period of two or three years where, you know, either they they kick on or they, you know, they kind of just stay in that period. You you want to see that gradual growth, I think. And that's the probably and what allowed me to do as a player is when I got there, I was probably, you know, mature enough and ready enough and knew the game well enough to just, you know, slowly grow as I as I um, as I went along. Yeah, I think it's um no, I just hearing I think it's a good way to go about like gradually building your way in and 
being patient when you're younger like just understand that you have so much time and that yeah just gradually building up yeah no yeah it's um it's definitely it's you know some guys are just ready at that age as well though i i reckon some guys at 20 are just ready to play you know they're just that's just the way they are you know and they, they might have a shorter they might have an earlier finish their career but they're ready to go look at a guy like michael hooper you know he was just ready at 20 he was ready to go yeah, that's true. I remember um, I was playing back in Dublin with Lansdowne and Max Deegan and James Ryan left school and joined us. And I remember just being like, Jesus, these are freaks. Like they were killing it at our club, like at 18, 19. And obviously they were fast track. But I remember just being like, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, the, well, yeah, James is one of those guys. He was physically yeah, able, you know, when he came in because he was, they probably weren't expecting him to take off as quickly as he did, you know, when I came into the, you know, that's why I was there initially, you know, just to give a bit of cover and give him time, which is essentially what my role was to, to buy time for those locks to develop. And then, you know, he, he just flew, he flew straight past me. So he was more than ready to play at that level. Yeah. And uh, so going back then, when you were breaking into professional rugby, you were getting looks with the Waratahs A or, and then Western Force, then Japan, was it like just a better full-time contract or what, why did you decide to make the move? up there yeah so i it was so i left the force um didn't play a game pretty you know tough experience with in terms of professional just didn't get a look in you know pretty upset with it came back to sydney played pretty well in sydney and then um it was actually gfc time so gfc hitting no you know eight oh nine you know a lot of the teams in in japan started folding and um, Kamashi were like the last kind of contract on offer in Japan at that stage. And, you know, if you've heard of Kamashi, it's right up north in um, the northeastern part of Japan. Um, it's very cold. Um, some set, some some guy I saw someone on Instagram compare it to living over the wall in, oh, know, yeah. in Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, saw, I saw someone compare it to that the other day. I spent my time over the wall. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a long way up. And it's very quiet, very small little town, um, and very very authentic Japanese. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a big move, but it was just to stay as a pro. Really, I think thought oh, the way I looked at it was do a few years here, save down from maybe you know the money's okay. It wasn't wasn't you know great money, but it was pretty good money, and I wasn't going to spend much money. I was still living it. I could live at home when I was back. You know, I didn't have to pay rent anywhere. So save a bit of money for a deposit on an apartment or house and just get a little bit ahead. Um, yeah. And then I ended up staying there for three years. So <laughs> just, it was kind of an, it was an, it was an easy, the short season I was home a lot. So, you know, spent a lot of time with mates at home during, I used to finish there in, in December and be back in Australia for Christmas and, you know, didn't have to be back until April or May. So, you know, I had kind of the summer in Australia, then the summer in Japan. And as it got cold, I left. It was, it wasn't a, wasn't a bad lifestyle. Looking back at it, I was pretty lucky. Yeah, it's cool. Um, in Ireland, like Japan looks cool. But no one really goes over there. I suppose Australia, because you got France and England nearby, but Australia, it was on your radar. You were just playing club and you're like, I want to be a pro and I'll, I'll head up there. Yeah, I think it's, it was only... Um, it's only a nine-hour flight, same time zone. Um, at that stage, it's a popular. It's always been a. When the last, it's still kind of. I uh, probably ten years before that guy started going up there, because mm. uh, I played with a couple of guys. I played with a guy called Peter Miller who played Australian sevens for a long time. He was a top top, and he'd been there for probably six or seven years before I got there. So he'd been there from mid to, mid two thousand, so two thousand four or something. He'd got there been there for a long time and before there was guys like Todd Kef who played there um, and then at my club there was a guy called Peter Slattery who had, um, he played for the Wallabies halfback and he ended up playing up there and in, in Kamashi where I was so there had been a history of Australians and, and Kiwis going there but now there's getting more there's a bit more um, South Africans going there now and things like that so uh, probably more heavily South African than New Zealand and Australian now. Yeah, and how how'd you go about it? Did you like get a, an agent or how'd you yeah, so my agent, out? Yeah, the agent the agent came up with a deal and I remember he just said, Oh, you know, they want to meet you first. So it was like playing on the weekend and I for club footy and um they flew me over to sign the contract. So they flew me over on like a Monday 
and I was, I was, he was like, just be, it's kind of, it's pretty, it's pretty out there, this place. Like, it's pretty, like, it's not like living You're in Central Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I, I flew in and then it was like um, an hour and a half train into Tokyo and then another three hour train up north, fast train to another one and then another two and a half hour train. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I got back to, I got, I got there. I was like, oh, and then um, they took me out fed me and stuff and we um end up signing the con signed the contract the next day and then back on the same trip back home and flew out again on like the wednesday night arrived back thursday morning in, in australia just completely exhausted trying to play footy that week as well so um and then when i signed then I eventually i signed so i signed that on that trip and then flew over a few weeks later after visa stuff sorted and they ended up this time they picked me up from the airport and drove me nine hours in the car from the airport. <laughs> the doctor and the team manager and I sat in the back of this car. I spoke no Japanese at all. And I drove nine hours up the coast um, with these guys in the car. Just, he yeah. spoke no Japanese. He spoke no English. The doctor spoke a little bit of English, but and then yeah, most people don't tell you, but sometimes then they just like they go, This is your apartment, and then they go, oh, here you go, here your keys. And there's your key, that, that car out there, that's your car. And I was like, oh, thanks. And then I said, oh, well, see you later. Have a good, I got there on like a Saturday and they're like, have a good weekend. And I was like, what do I do now? <laughs> I was just kind of, didn't know anyone there and spoke no Japanese. I had a little, one of those little um, phrase book and just had to go from there. Just went over and watched a few, they said training's Monday morning. I'll see you then, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. It was just like, oh. So it was actually looking back on it, it was really good for me because it just put me really out of my comfort zone. You know, with all those things, I think it's um, it's great travel. You know, people always say travel is really good for you. You know, I think it was it was awesome for me to just experience something completely different. And anyone who's been in Japan knows it's just such a different culture to Australia. Yeah, that's mad. Like, and at that time as well, like like smartphones or like it just wasn't as much of a yeah, thing. Yeah, wasn't. Or... I think the iPhone came out maybe 2010, I think maybe or yeah. maybe around then. But not not many people had them, and there was no like Google. Like I had, when I went back this time, I had Google Translate. Yeah, that was really handy. You could just translate with that. But I didn't have. I had a phrase book, like one of those travel books. One of my mates gave me, and I used to use that, which was yeah, it was tough. <laughs> Yeah, and how would you go um, about how would you go about learning Japanese then? Like, uh, well, the good thing was because I was young, because I was single, young guy. I the boys, which they were great. The Japanese boys were actually great. They were like um, my club. They used to just take me out on the drink all the time, and I used to drink with them all the time. And I just listen. I just sit there and just take it all in, and just it was so like at first it was like really hard to pick things up but then i'd hear a word and i'd always ask him what was that word you just said because you keep saying that word and then and then um even when we'd be like going to camps or games i'd be on the bus and i'd just listen for words and then i'd or i'd have my book out i'd be writing things down and you kind of and it usually it was all around insults like so i'd just yeah. I'd the and i'd try i'd follow in like you would in any any um any rugby team you always like have a bit of crack as you're saying island and I'd, yeah so just learn the insult learn the insult words and then go from there and that's kind of how i got by and, um but they were great as i said before the, the japanese players were, were awesome for me there because it was a small town and a small team um we spent a lot of time together and you know they, they were really welcoming to me and I, I had a great experience up there that's unreal that's incredible fair play like i always wonder yeah like people are going over to different countries obviously like france japan and all that and um yeah some people don't learn the language don't they not and then but yeah fair play that's class yeah i, I can't say that i'm fluent i can speak enough <laughs> i can't say that i can do much with it i can get by i can order you not i can order you a nice meal maybe in japan but that's about it yeah, yeah. and did you ever learn how to write it uh, i used to learn the here used to know a bit more of the hiragana which is the um, used to know kind of what they say and if I look at it on a page now I can kind of read a little bit no oh that says that but then um, writing it's like that's that's a pretty uh, high level of Japanese if you can write it because you've got like hiragana katakana and um, katakana is like the English words they use and then you've got the um, kanji as well the kanji so there'll be like kanji would be like one one symbol that would mean a whole word kind of thing so we want yeah so once you get into that, to learn the kanji takes you years and years. 
yeah yeah it's, it's crazy that's mad and then so when you were there for a couple of years uh, like how'd you get back to the brumbies or like you impressed or is it just like tape and just someone gets in touch or yeah so i, I when i went for the third year um i kind of said to myself because like, you find yourself i go this isn't like going forward i can't live like this six month here six month at home i can't just keep doing this because it's like it's all right you know it's it's grand but it's it's getting a bit much and you know i'm, I'm missing things i want to you know either settle settle back get a job in australia or you know just if something comes up it comes up and then um i got an offer from the the brumbies looking for kind of like an older player because they had a young squad in that stage you know the, a lot of guys moved on from the 2011 season they wanted someone a bit older and laurie fisher reached out to my agent and then i met bernie larkham actually he was coaching rico at the time so i met bernie up there and um yeah so and then signed a rookie contract um and went back to back to canberra arrived back in canberra in, in december of 2011. so I, I finished up played on the saturday december the second or first and was a training for the brumbies on the fourth of december ready to go so um yeah and then started my first horror pre-season with with dean benton which was incredibly tough so once again you're like two years in three years thinking like ah if it doesn't work out i'll get a job at like in your whatever mid to late 20s yeah well that well like i think that i because i just worked and did whatever i think that i always felt like working's not that bad you know some guys are like chasing they're, they're playing rugby and they're like oh we're gonna get away from work or but I was like, yeah, you're going to have to work. And not many guys finish the game even now at my age and whatever. I had a decently long career, but guys, you're going to have to work at some stage. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't be kind of scared of it in some way. So I guess I always just was like, oh, well, I'll just get, I'll go work again or find a job and get into it and go from there. Yeah, nice one. And then you went into, got into Wallabies pretty quickly once you went back, didn't you? Yeah, so I did 2012 season and then 2013 I, I um, debuted for the for the Wallabies and um, after the Lions series. So they lost the Lions series and then we um, I debuted in the next test after the Lions series versus, the, versus New Zealand and Sydney. So, yeah, it was something I never thought I'd do. Um, I was 29 at that stage. So um, I never thought that I'd, I'd play for my country. I couldn't – I was looking back at it, I just couldn't believe it at the time that I was actually – there, even though like I'd played well in Super Rugby, I played in the final of Super Rugby that year. We lost to the Chiefs. Um, you know, I didn't believe that I'd played Super Rugby at all. I mean, played Test Rugby at all. I just until I remember um, being announced to the team in um, in Johannesburg and that you were in the squad, and I was like, we had we had we were playing well. We had sixteen guys in the squad or something like that. So um, yeah, it was incredible. And then what, what do you think helped you stay there? Like you were kind of pretty consistent throughout a few years then, weren't you? Yeah, so I played for, probably so I played 39 tests. I played pretty much four years straight. Straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, I was just, yeah, I don't know what helped me stay there. <laughs> I think, um, you know, there's not many, I, I think I think really helped me was Brumbies are very set piece orientated and uh, test matches they prepare it prepares you well for test matches you know we did a lot of work at set piece at, at Brumbies and uh, that prepared me well to be a test player I think um, guys like Laurie Fisher and then later Dan McKellar um, you know two good coaches I had and they, they prepared me to play test footy and I was you know that was you know what what really helped me but I think that was really beneficial and, and kept me around there you know mm. and what was it like stepping up then to like you're going from Japan to Brumbies to Test Rugby? Did you find big step up? Like, yeah, but I, I found it. I found I said to people when I was said, I remember even when I was playing at Leinster with young guys, you said it gets easier because the players around you are better. So yeah, and I was probably good at. I was probably probably one thing that as a player, I was good at was. Um, feeding off good players, like helping good players be better, you know, or me being better around better players. So I just, that was something I, you know, I could see someone, you know, I had that ability, I think. Um, and that's what I said. I remember saying so many young guys, I go, don't worry. Like you could see some of the young guys, especially at Lens, would be nervous about their first run and say, mate, don't worry. It gets easier as you go up. You know, it's easy now because you're playing with good players. So all you got to do is do your job. That's like as simple as it is. You do your, because it's, 
more guys, when you get to a better level, there's more guys doing their job well and you just got to do your job well. And then it's kind of like everyone looks after themselves and then it's not as much like, you don't have to what you don't look, you don't sit in that change room and go, I'm worried about this guy. I'm worried, you know, you sit in a change room and go, oh, you know, he's played 50 tests, you know, he's this guy, he's, you know, he's always shows up, you know, so as, as you get to a better level, you know, it kind of gets, it gets, it gets a little bit easier as you go. Yeah, it's so interesting. So true as well. Yeah, because when you're when you're younger, you're going to be playing in like a bad school team and you and one other guy have to do it all and you're just yeah. do, trying to do everything. And yeah, so true. Yeah, you just, I think it's really, I think that's, that's, you know, it's really important that for guys, I think you see guys trying to push themselves to like do too much on the field and mm. stuff like that. You know, it's, it's important, you know, that guys around you just as, just as good as you or better than you. So just work together and I think you see good teams do that really well yeah it's a funny one it's such a paradox when you try and do too much you just you you like fall you just fail like it's just well it's like in anything in life balance is so important you know I think in in anyone in in doing what you do like if you don't balance yourself out or if you try to put too much on your plate you're always going to burn out or you're going to make mistakes or whatever you know to being having that ability that comes with age as well like anyone you know having that ability to say I don't need this I need that or no, that, that that only comes with experience yeah and what uh, just with the levels like what what was the level which you found most challenging at the start from your whole career uh, um, I, yeah I, I don't know if I, I don't think they I'm trying to think if I found them challenging I don't know if I found them like test when you get a test 40 I think that the external stuff around test footy is challenging so there's you know there's pressures that come with that whether they're genuine pressures or they're just kind of, I think they're almost made up in your head, those pressures. You know, you you talk yourself into the pressure of test footy, right? But you could easily just say, listen, it's looking back at it, I could say it's just a game, which it is, just a game. You 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 let everything around you feed into this narrative that it's pressure. And like, I've lost the, I look back at my own career, I've lost the biggest, I'm probably the only person to lose a World Cup final, a European final and a Super Rugby final. I think I'd probably be the only person to lose the three biggest games in the rugby calendar. I don't know if anyone else has done that, which is, but I'm still here. I'm still fine. I still went on and played after those games and had a good career and won lots of games, still run trophies as well. You know, I've had that share of disappointment, but, you you know, I think you kind of make that pressure up on yourself a little bit in some ways. Yeah, 100%. And did you kind of suss that throughout your career? Well, yeah. That- yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a funny, like, nerves and all those things that come into it. You know, I think it's a funny thing to try to balance and take it. How do you take it serious? You know, you're taking it serious, but not too serious. And it's like, it's just, it's always, it's difficult. Balance, it's a difficult balancing act for everybody. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think everyone get, everyone gets nervous. That's just something yeah. that happens. Like everyone, they don't go. I think it's something you just have to accept. It's like you're gonna get nervous. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it was a. Yeah, I think you just looked at the you looked at the worst case scenarios all the time. Yeah, you know, so yeah. Oh, what if I do this? What if? And all I wanted to do when I played, I, you know, I haven't looked back too much on my playing days that much over the last you know 15 months since I stopped. But I've always thought how. I was just worried about letting down the guys around me. That's all. I, I just didn't want to do something that let down the people around me. And that's, you know, I didn't really care about, you know, what people said outside of that, the team, or, you know, my, you know, my family, yeah, maybe, but, you know, I think you just didn't want to let the team down. That was the biggest pressure that you had on yourself, I think. Yeah, 100%. And uh, it's a good driver as well. Uh, like not want to let the boys down and to, to get after and do your job. And yeah. With the uh, like you say, the pressure externally or the pressure you put on yourself, did you did you get support with the Wallabies with Leinster, like mental skills coaches no, or? No, we had a bit of no. I didn't really. Uh, we didn't really have that support network in that way. With coaches, who, you know, coaches a good coach will ease your pressure, ease your ease that kind of stuff. I think and, you know they they make you play unshackled and you know they restrict you when you have to be restricted, but they make you feel like you know if you can. They they bring the best out of you in that way, you know. They have that relationship with you where you wouldn't worry about making a mistake because you know that you're working hard and all those things. So um, no, I didn't have that much. We did a lot of mindfulness, um, a lot of um, 
a lot of what's it called um, imagery positive imagery oh, visualization visualization sorry yeah um, so I did a lot of visualization um, we before Brumbies games we do a lot a lot, a lot of visualization wallabies as well not as much in Ireland didn't do that much visualization so um, but it was yeah but like kind of meditations before games and things like that to get us into into a calm state so we played you know played fairly level-headed cool yeah where where would you have been doing the meditations before games where it was at at the team hotel and things like that so just a visualization session essentially run by the coaches yeah just, yeah and just just get through and think and he'd be talking about positive things that are going to happen in that game and it was, it was good. It got you into a, it. It did calm you down when you're leading into a game. You're obviously a bit very nervous and all those things. And it would just, just that breathe, that ability to breathe and lie down in silence. And you know, you probably sit there on your with the smartphones. You're probably picking up your smartphone and reading everything that's going on. And you don't realise that your mind's getting very busy. Yeah, you know, before a game, you know that's why night games kind of suck because it's, it's a long day lying around with your mind going into the outer things. So. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it, it helped me. I think it was it was good. It was a good little thing to do. The visualization's good. I think um, now a lot of hookers do it with their throwing, just visualizing. I think it's really beneficial beneficial to hookers. Guys who get a bit like I get, I get sometimes if I forget calls and stuff in lineouts, I like to visualize, especially going into bigger stadiums. I'd, I'd walk in and I'd I'd walk through walk through all the calls in my head in a certain spot on the field most times, and then just visualize that. Yeah, those those key kind of things I have to get right. Yeah, that's so powerful. I read in a book there recently that Maradona, someone was playing a charity game with Maradona and they went to the stadium with him at like two o'clock in the day before the night. He ran around for like 10 minutes playing an imaginary game, kicking, scoring goals, doing knee slides, celebrating, run over to the fans, like empty stadium. And he did this and he's like, I do this every day, every before every game. And uh, literally what you were saying there, like you were kind of doing lineouts on the field and it's their studies shown it like it it one hundred percent helps like doing that. Must be something around. There's something must be something around about a creating creation as well in your brain, like creating the pathway to do something, or you know, like the the creative the creativity that it takes to be you know a really good athlete like Maradona was. There must be something in that, you know, in terms of that. Yeah, they, they, well, they've they've kind of proven or studies have shown that the subconscious mind does know the difference between something you imagine and something that actually happens. So when you're visualizing the game happening, you, your subconscious mind thinks you've already played it. So like you get experience, you know what I mean? If you do it 50 oh, yeah, times, you, it's as if you think you feel as if you've played 50 games. So then you just, you feel more confident when you go out there in the field. It's not as daunting. Yeah. Yeah. I can say that. Yeah. So it's cool. How did you, uh, with the evening games, how did you get like, manage your energy throughout those days like 7 30 kickoff and and you're probably up early in the morning like you're probably in early enough during the week and then so the body clock could probably be set for getting up at seven or you know getting up early yeah so that was the big thing was like when i didn't have kids when i was the brumbies and um stuff like that you it didn't matter because of what i do like if we're playing new zealand i'd actually I'm as big on trying to get my sleep right because I think it's the only control you can have. You know, there's not much you can control, but sleep is you know, a massive thing for recovery and getting ready. So if you're playing New Zealand at seven o'clock, it'd be a five o'clock game, but you'd have to be up and all flights and stuff. So I'd be trying to go in the during the week, I'd be trying to get up at six and things like that. So that'd be eight o'clock. So that I'd be targeting my Saturday to be getting up at eight AM when I arrived in New Zealand. So I used to try to do that and and then be consistent around getting up at eight during the week. And then um, if I was in Australia or obviously getting up for training and stuff like that. But then I'd, then within that, then on the weekend, I'd have, um, I'd make sure I just slept as long as I could in the morning because I wasn't a day napper. A lot of guys are like, you lie, lie, they'll have a line in the afternoon, sleep for two hours in the afternoon and feel good and play. But I couldn't, I didn't really like napping in the day. I just couldn't do it. So um, I'd just sleep as long as I could. In the, in the morning, try to sleep till like nine o'clock if I could, you know, and then up and have coffee, breakfast and go from there. But it changes when you have kids because then suddenly they're in the room at 6.37 and you just got to adjust. And uh, I felt that I managed that pretty well. And um, it's just, it shows you how like it all doesn't matter that much, you know, it's because you I did all that work to try to kick and then you had kids and they throw everything out of, you know, 
they throw that all out because you can't do that. You know, you you can't get up later because the kids will be there and you've got to look after kids. And, um, you know, Saturday, a lot of the time I'd be up now with the, when I had two kids and I'd take the oldest with me, go get a coffee and a bit of breakfast together, the two of us. And he was, he was like three or two or three at that stage. So still a busy day, you know, with the kids anyway. And then you turn up and play, but often you play better because you just, your mind's just busy and you, you didn't think about the game that much before you got there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, being occupied is is good versus, like you were saying earlier, on your phone or just like killing, trying to kill time or just sitting around is kind of the worst thing you can do. Yeah, I love, yeah, that's why I love a bit of golf on my day off and things like that. You know, just something to keep my mind away from the game as best I could. Just 18 holes of golf, the boys would give me shit at Wednesday because I'd always play every Wednesday, rain, rain, hail or shine. You know, I'd always be out there playing golf because it was just my, I'd step away and just play it play for the 18 holes and come home. And that was my step away time. Yeah, nice one. Was there a crew and Lencer that played? There was a few, yeah. They, there's, there's lots of guys playing there now. Some of those young guys, like Dan Sheehan, he's, a, he's an unbelievable golfer. Um, he's really hits the ball really well. Jordan Lama hits it well. Uh, played with me and James Tracy, kind of played all the way through summer, uh, all the way through winter, sorry. We would kind of like run around these, these courses in the middle of winter and the in the cold and wind and like we just go oh we got to play we got to play just keep playing um so we had a little crew that played and then um yeah it was great it was great fun but Rob Carney's another one I played Dave Carney Reese Ruddick Sean Cronin interesting golfer he's good so um now I had had a lot of fun playing such as some really good courses around Ireland as well yeah. who uh who was the best or who usually won the money or... <laughs> the best um I don't know. I think Jordan Jordan Lamar was really good. Kieran Frawley's actually another one was was good, but he used to say he was playing off eighteen, but he's probably playing off five. <laughs> he's a burglar. Um, yes, yeah, so a lot of the young guys coming through are really good. You know, they've all rich kids at Dublin. They've been members of golf clubs their whole life, so they're they're ready to go. You know, when they get there. Yeah, yeah. Have you kept it up since? Uh, I didn't play much in Japan. I've been playing back here in Newcastle a bit of time off, so I've been playing a bit, but. Um, Japan was with two kids there and tiny little apartments. I didn't have much time to get away. I was hoping to play more golf than I did. Yeah, yeah. nice one. Well, hey, thanks Mo, for your time. Um, been unreal chatting. Any, no uh, what kind of a, any advice you give a young player, say eighteen, keen rugby player? Uh, one thing I do, I was thinking about this the other day, is because now I'm sitting here as a thirty-seven-year-old retiree. I. I'd say get your body. I'd say invest in like looking after your body, you know, as much as you can because that's you know from the word go. So it doesn't mean like you know go out and drink or do you know young guy be a young guy, but at the same time, like all those little things in your body that you know, like if you've got a bad knee or you've got a weakness there, go and, go and start that that process now. And so that when you get to my age, your body's still in. In good condition and you you know you're on top of those things and um i wish that i probably took more control of my the physical stuff in my um you know i probably i did a, i did a fair bit but i probably should have taken more control of what i did physically in gyms and you know things like that so and stretching you know i think it's important to be really flexible in the game and all those things get that you know when i got that kind of i didn't get that till later in my career that kind of professionalism around flexibility and you know, I wasn't a big gym user. I didn't. I never liked using the gym that much. So, um, but all those things, I think, if you can get on and just enjoy it as well, I think that's always the most important thing. If you're not enjoying it, don't do it. Yeah, hundred percent great stuff. In the day, it's just a game. Yeah, and it's interesting when you're younger. So I don't know, but wherever else, but in Ireland, it was like we just lift heavier, lift heavier. It's all you're focused on always was lifting heavier and getting heavier and never stretching. Better. Yeah. I'd say lift better and, and lift more range and all that stuff to come, especially when you're only 18, because yeah. you know you get into bad habits of lifting heavy and lifting with, you know, I'd just say lift and lift with more range and before you lift heavier, you say that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, don't lift at all, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and with, yeah. And with the enjoying the thing, did you, um, it's another hard thing, I think, when you're young to understand. It's like you're always so focused on the next thing. But um, was there a point in your career where you kind of sussed, like, I hear I just have to enjoy what I'm at? Or did you always? 
think I always enjoyed it. I think I had a relative. I think I understood that I was pretty lucky when I, especially when I became a professional, coming back to the Brumbies, I, I had this sense of I was really, really lucky. Because, you know, I knew that a lot of guys wanted to be professional rugby players. They didn't get the opportunity. Me coming late to it, you know, I was, I, I was privileged to, to get a, essentially a second chance to, to play rugby professionally. So I always felt that, you know, I, I was very um, grateful that, you know, with the, with the job I had at that stage. And then, you know, I think there's a, it's, a, it's a tough one. I remember talking a long time ago at the Brums with the guys and it's the lines get blurred quickly because you start this game that you have, you start a game that you play for fun with your mates mm. on a Saturday morning or at school or whatever. That's There's that's, no pressure about it. It's just having fun, running with the ball, playing really loose. And then you become a professional and you lose that that touch with it. You, it becomes a job. And when it comes a job, it becomes pressure and all those things that come with it. And what we talked about earlier, the, the pressure that's not there, but it's there, you know. And then there's, So I think it's important to understand that it's still a game you played as a child. You just got really good at it. And then, and then, and you play against really other really good players, but those things are still part of it. So, and then, yeah. So I think that's that's the hard thing to try to balance out. You know, to say it's still a game that you love playing as a child, but now you're just a really good pro at it. Yes, be a professional, but enjoy being a professional because you could be doing something else. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a great point you make, and I something I've been really realizing recently, and, and working with young players on the mental side of the game. But is is that that's what the flow state is, or in the zone? What you're saying, like as a kid, like when you're in the schoolyard at like seven, eight, nine, ten, playing. We played soccer, like football. You're just playing, loving it, or playing rugby, like when you're a kid. You're just loving it, like you're just loving it. And then as you grow up it's like you said with you start to put this pressure like you know you get into a rep team where you do whatever and it's it's you doing it kind of and uh yeah. it's no, all no, of, no one else man. no and like it's, your parents are still gonna love you like yeah. <laughs> that doesn't change anything um i look at my own kids now and i just think i don't want you know i don't they're already young but you know if they get into it just for them to feel that pressure is i never felt that pressure and that i was i was lucky because my my parents and i was a third child so i was you know i was I never had the pressure. I remember saying to my father I was going to quit playing rugby because it was, you know, you know something. And he said, I'm going to quit. And he just said, he didn't say, like, don't. He didn't say, you, you can't quit, you know. He said, you can if you want, mate, but if you, I think you're all right at it. You should probably give it a go for a bit longer because you're pretty good at it. And that's all he said to me. And then I was like, okay, all right. Okay, I end up not quitting. Uh, but it was a good way of going about it from him because he didn't put me, didn't say to me, oh, you can't quit, you know, you've, put all this work in and kind of just said, like, no, you just stick at it a bit. I think, you know, you can be better at this or, I mean, you can, you don't need to be better. You're good enough. Just keep pushing on. And I think that was, that helped them, you know, having that, that family life is really helpful. I think for me, and I'm always grateful for the fact that I had, you know, supportive siblings and, and, and parents around me and now wife and, and kids. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, sometimes only the smallest bit of encouragement to a player can can mean so much, you know. Oh, yeah, I remember those in my time. It's just the, the small conversations you have over a beer with someone at the end of a game, you know, when someone might say, "Oh, geez, I think you played you played well," or so beneficial, you're so beneficial for for a player, you know, to say, "Listen, you're a good player." Mate. Even you might see a player. I remember. I remember watching Kalen Doris play. We we got smashed by Connor in the first game, in the last game of the year. It was John um, Muldoon's last game. And but I remember watching Kalen Doris and going, mate, this guy's this guy's red hot. And I remember just texting saying, mate, you, you played really well. I know the result didn't go on, whether it helped you or not. But I just said that you I thought you were really good individually, you played really well because he was fantastic in that game. Uh, the next year he's kicking on from there and you know, going playing. Now he's playing for on. Now he's one of the best back rows in the world. You know, so you know, I think you know, yeah. There's always there's always room for little bits of like little bits of telling someone they're going well. You know, a lot of times we always tell people they go they're not going well or they're not playing well. When someone's going well, just give them a little yeah, you know, good stuff. Yeah, it's something I'm I'm aware of. I'm gonna. I need to do it more and more. Just, just keep doing it as, as a coach, just like letting people, I do it a bit, but just keep doing it, letting them know, like you, you can never assume that someone knows they're good. I think, you know, like someone like I'm coaching, I'm like, 
they're good like fuck they were good today but you can't just assume that they know it no yeah you can't yeah you're 100% right because you 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 have that voice in your head that's going all the time right and that voice is you know especially with people in in professional sport in in sport generally they're always like oh. They just have that self doubt that creeps in. So every time you give that, just pushes that away a little bit. So. Yeah, and it's such um, sorry, let you go, but it's such a, an interesting one that no, I think when you're younger, I don't know, old school coach, you're like, oh, geez, don't don't want them to get ahead of themselves. But it's like no players are, you know, like they don't give you any praise. They, they, they just they don't give you anything. But it's like no players aren't getting ahead. From my experience, very few players are getting ahead of themselves. Venting, they're beating themselves up. Some players, some players do. You have to give them a little bit. Some, yeah. Can't say anything to them. There's certain players you wouldn't say it to, but you know, a ninety percent of players, you'd say, yeah, you could say something. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, thanks, Mel, for your time, Scott. Been unreal chat. Really, really enjoyed it. No, thanks very much, mate. And, uh, all the best with your coaching. And- Cheers for listening in today. Please be sure to send the podcast on some friends, as I've mentioned at the start and throughout. The reason that I do this is to help young players with the mental side of the game. Essentially, just help young players learn from those who have been down the path that they want to go down. Help them learn from those at the top, kind of all the different things they did, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And yeah, I did it because when I was younger, there wasn't really this resource or you didn't really hear from those people at the top. You heard them do like post-match interviews or pre-match interviews or kind of media stuff in that sense but not really a deeper dive or kind of an open and kind of honest conversation about how things went throughout the career. Scott's journey in the game is very cool and definitely inspiring for young players so yeah be sure to send it on some people. Also interest in hearing how Scott used visualization in his pre-match routine I actually did the exact same when I was playing with walking the field before warm-ups and going through lineouts. I didn't really know though at the time why or how it was useful. I just loved I loved lineouts and I loved the whole thing around it. So I used to just enjoy like going off on my own before a game, like when the bus would get to uh when the bus would get to whatever the the place we were playing or even if it was a home match, you know, just getting out early and walking around the field I, I used to find it helped me get into the zone, get into the kind of match focus. And yeah, I just really enjoyed that walking around the field and kind of walking through lineouts, going through my head before I knew that it was, I suppose, before I knew the kind of technicalities or the stuff around the mental side of the game, I kind of just did it naturally. And you can do this regardless of what position you are. Like whatever the one or two core things that you do for your position, whatever they are, walk through them on the field. Give yourself plenty of time, you know, before you get togged out even, is what I used to do personally, and do it without a ball. So it could be place kicking, passing, jackling, scrummaging, whatever it is, putting in grubbers into a corner, whatever it is, just walk through it and you kind of imagine it in your head and you know catch the imaginary ball kick the imaginary ball pass the imaginary ball whatever it is um, do that and yeah as I said I've done this in the past when I was younger without really knowing what it is but this really helps and has been proven to help with nerves and overwhelm when you get out to the game and it'll help you get in the zone as well yeah, and as I said, like the more, you know, in recent years, as I've been studying this area of the game and learning more, I've kind of seen the research behind it. But yeah, funny, I just happened upon it when I was younger. But um, yeah, it's really, really powerful, really powerful because it, it also hel- helps you get out of your head because there's sometimes, depending on how early you get to a venue or a field, there can be a lot of downtime you know you could be sitting in the dressing room for 40 minutes and for some people that's okay but for other people you're kind of scrolling on your phone or just getting anxious or whatever you know you might be spending that the best you might enjoy that time and going out onto the field for a walk around can be just a very good use of that time because 
as mentioned it has all the benefits for dealing with nerves and all that stuff but it also can just get you away from uh, being on your phone or just sitting around waiting for time to pass like when you're in that kind of state and energy it's just not great so this can just be something that you can incorporate into your pre-match and yeah as i said i found it brilliant um and it is really powerful and just interesting hearing that scott did the same thing if you want help with the mental side of the game uh, deal with nerves become more confident you can go to my instagram page at offfield rugby and book a free one-on-one -on -one 30 minute strategy call with me and we'll chat through everything whatever you want to chat through the link uh, there's a link in my bio, sorry, link in my bio of my Instagram page at Offfield Rugby that you can just click in. It has a link to my calendar. You can just book a time, put your email in, and it will automatically send out Zoom details. And then we'll just jump on a Zoom and have a chat. And the link is also actually in my Twitter bio, which is at Offfield Rugby as well. So yeah, Instagram and Twitter bio at Offfield Rugby. Please send the podcast on some friends and leave a rating and a review. That really helps. I, To be honest, I love seeing the ratings and reviews or on Apple Podcasts. I can see them, like what you're enjoying about the podcast because it helps me understand what you enjoy. And the same way, like when you send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook, I love seeing it. Yeah, I love um, hearing your thoughts and everything because... Yeah, it helps me understand it because as you can imagine like i put out the podcast and then i see listeners or downloads or whatever but like i'm not sure what kind of things you enjoy or what you don't enjoy or whatever whatever and this podcast is for you so yeah let me know your thoughts you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening that also helps with the algorithm helps people find it so that's cool and you can send me a dm on instagram or twitter which is at offfield rugby and linkedin and facebook is my name Brian Moylet, M-O-Y-L-E-T-T. -T. Would love to hear from you. So yeah, cheers for clicking in. Thanks a mil as always. I really appreciate you being here, subscribing, clicking in. If you have, if this is your first episode, have a listen to some of the earlier ones. And yeah, have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.